Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. I want to um, invite you to turn to um, the book of Galatians, if you would like to and also to the book of Esther. We're not going to read the account of Esther. We were going to do that during our um, scripture reading, but I'm just going to kind of incorporate that into my message. Please do not forget the emphasis and the focus of the first 30 minutes of our worship service as we head into the message And we talk about at just the right time. We'll begin in the book of Esther. Esther is a young Hebrew woman. We expect that she was young. She was a virgin, a young Hebrew woman in... um, Babylon or in the Babylonian Empire during the exile and during the captivity. You may know this, that the um, during the captivity, there were actually several different kingdoms that kind of transpired, a handful of kingdoms that transpired in Babylon during that time. We're familiar, of course, with um, the Babylonian Empire, but if we look at the book of Daniel, we actually also recognize that there was another empire that took over, of course, and it was the Medo-Persian Empire. In fact, Darius, who is the king that throws Daniel into the lion's den, is a Medo-Persian king, not a Babylonian king. Another Medo-Persian king is the king known as Ahasuerus or Xerxes. He, not to labor long on the story, but at some point this pagan king throws a party for himself and his royal nobles and he um, asks or demands that his pagan queen come and uh, present herself for the men of his kingdom, the men of his court, to look upon and to um, gaze at her beauty and probably other things. And Vashti, the pagan queen, says to him, basically, go fly kite. Vashti might be the most impressive non-Hebrew person in the Bible because she would have had very little religious reason for saying that to the king. It could have gotten her killed. The men of his kingdom, his royal advisors, come to King Xerxes and say, you know, you can't let your wife say no to you. Not because they thought it was disrespectful, 
their reason was, if the queen says no to the king, then none of us will be able to keep our wives where we want them under our control. That was their reason. They're all going to start saying no to us. You can't let her get away with it. So Xerxes has Vashti removed from her position as the queen. How sad. But this is the culture that Esther was in. So Xerxes puts out uh, really the um, ancient equivalent of a kind of a, a Miss America contest. He says, I'm gonna, we want to throw the net wide. We want all of the best uh, virgins in the land throughout the whole kingdom to come and to be examined and to be prepared, and we are going to pick from one of them the new queen. Esther is a young woman, a beautiful young woman, apparently. She is rounded up in this number, and she ends up, though a Hebrew, in the mixture and in the harem of this pagan king. Through a process that goes on for some time, he eventually chooses her to be the new queen. But there's a problem. There are people in Xerxes' circle of influence, particularly a man named Haman, who hate the Jews and want to kill them. He convinces Xerxes to set a day where the Jews will be annihilated, taken out of and, and just destroyed from the Medo-Persian Empire. And Xerxes signs it into law according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which could not be changed. And Mordecai, that is um, uh, a relative of Esther's, who also lives in the, the kingdom hears about this plan and he sends word to Esther you've got to do something you're the queen and Esther says what am I supposed to do see there's a law in the Medo-Persian Empire that says nobody nobody gets to walk into the king's courtroom unless they are summoned by the king. If I'm going to get this law reversed, I'm going to have to go to the king, and it's been 30 days since he has even asked to see me. By the way, just so there isn't any confusion, pagan kingdom, ancient kingdom, ancient rules... Husbands and wives, you don't get to decide every 30 days if you want to see your spouse just to call them in when you want to see them, okay? This, this was an old way of doing things. He was the king. She had no authority, okay? If I go in to see him, I could be executed, she says. Now, he may grant me mercy. He may extend his scepter to me and and forgive my intrusion, but he may not. And Mordecai says to Esther, you must do this thing. You've got to try. Do not think that just because you are the queen that you will escape the law. 
that is going to annihilate the Hebrews. Okay? Mordecai goes farther than that. He says, how do you know that you were not given, I believe this is in Esther chapter 4, he says, how do you know that you were not brought to this place of royalty for such a time as this? And so Esther says, I will go. She says, have all of our people pray and fast for me for days, and I will go. The story, of course, continues. She goes into the king. He extends to her his scepter. He forgives the intrusion. She invites him to a dinner. Over the course of several days, she eventually tells him what is happening, what Haman's plan is, and the king reverses his decision and allows the Hebrews to defend and protect themselves and to not be killed. But I want you to keep that picture in your mind of the royal queen risking and setting aside all of her royalty to go in for the salvation of her people. And now I want to bring you to the book of Galatians. We've been doing a Bible study on the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights. Paul, if you've been part of that study, you know that Paul is really focusing on the fact that Jesus is sufficient for everything that is needed. And in Galatians chapter 4, I'll read this to you, it's not very long, Verses 3 through 5, Paul says this. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. In other words, we were, we were in sin and bondage. Nothing could free us from it. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman and born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. That verse 4 is very important. When the fullness of time came, in other words, when God was ready, he sent his son. There's another passage in the book of Romans. You don't have to turn there. If you don't want, I'll read it very briefly to you. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, where Paul says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though it's possible that for a good person somebody might die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here is what Paul is saying. Redeem. To fix the sin problem. Here we have the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament story. While Esther sets aside her queenliness in order to risk herself for the salvation of her people, Jesus, the Son of God, sets aside, we read elsewhere in the New Testament, he set aside his heavenly glory in order to also put himself in a position for the redemption of his people. 
he himself stood before the throne of his father as the the go-between between a God who had declared us worthy of punishment and a people that were in need of redemption. Just like Esther stood between a king who had decreed the people worthy of death and the people who had no other hope. But in both of these scenarios, both the Old Testament picture and the New Testament fulfillment, this same terminology is used. Mordecai says to Esther, maybe now is just the time for why you were put there. Maybe everything about this process, and do not get confused here, this process had not been a pleasant one for Esther. And that way, it's nothing like a modern-day beauty pageant. She hadn't won some sort of reality TV show. She had gone from obscurity and been forced through many different processes to become a, a basically a, an object of the king for him to use and utilize only when he saw fit. She's in somewhat of a position of safety. She was the queen. And Mordecai says, maybe everything that you have gone through to get you to this point was just for this time. Paul says that when the father saw that the time was right, he sent the son. Now, I want to go back to what we were sort of talking about at the beginning of the service. Here we are, sitting in a church in 2023, far removed from the story of Esther and far removed from the time of Christ. And yet, we sit here, as we've already admitted this morning, with needs with uncertainties, with frustrations, with questions that we are trying to answer. Some of you are looking for the next step in life, and it seems more confusing than ever. Some of you have grasped onto what you thought was the next step, only to find that it's like sand sifting through your fingers. Some of you have relationships that you have done everything that you know how to fix, only to find that they don't seem to be getting fixed. Some of you have run into situation after situation of physical need where it seems like even if you get something taken care of, another one follows closely behind it. Some of you have family members that you are so concerned about, that you're so burdened for, and you don't know what else to do. And it's not that you haven't surrendered it to God, but you don't know what the solution is going to be. You don't know where the time is going to come, where the, the re resolution is going to be there. Some of us are, are struggling and mourning over loss that we keep thinking that the, the situation should get better. People keep telling us the situation should get better, but it never seems to feel better. Whatever the case may be, and I'm sure there's many more scenarios that could fit into that, we are often left asking the question, how long, 
O Lord. It is the lament of the Old Testament when the people were in bondage, when they were waiting for the Messiah. How long, O Lord? When are you going to send him? And think about all the centuries that passed where the people went from being followers of the one true God to having the kings that we've already talked about a few weeks ago they didn't really need, but God tried to tell them and they, they wanted the kings anyway and it really led to more destruction than anything else. And they end up, ever shows up on the scene in the New Testament. God is silent and the cry of the heart of the people, we're getting ready to enter into Advent in a few weeks. The cry of our heart during the waiting period is, how long, O Lord? And pastors and preachers will stand up in front of you and say things like, well, God's got the timing just figured out. God's got a plan for your life. God's got it all under control. And all of those things are true. And they'll say things like, well, God's got some purpose that he he's must have in mind for you, or he's, he's got this all planned for the good. And that is true. But it doesn't change the fact that in the uncertainties and in the frustrations and in the overwhelming periods of our life, that we are often left with the cry of our heart to still be how long Oh Lord. And then we hear the words of Scripture that say, when the time was just right. So I want to point out three things very quickly to you about possibly our situations that speak to the time being just right. First of all, the purpose for whatever it is that is going to be achieved can only be determined by God. You see, part of the problem with us thinking that we need a solution in a certain time frame is that we have the purpose already figured out in our mind. We think we already know where the road should be heading, so it's easy for us to put a timeline in place of how it should take for us to get there. In a week, Thanksgiving, a week and a half, Thanksgiving is coming up. Many of us are going to be traveling. When you get in the car to go on a trip to go visit family, you know more or less what the trip is going to take. You might plan a little time for traffic. You might plan a little time to stop off and get gas or grab something to eat. But you know that I'm going to get in the car here, and the GPS tells me how long it's going to take to get there. I'm going to get there. So you can plan the timing based on knowing the destination. But we, that is where we falter sometimes with the Lord. My friends, hear me. The purpose of whatever it is that is going to be achieved in your life or anybody else's is not the one that you get to orchestrate. The purpose can only be determined by God. And I am not asking you this morning to be... to discern or understand exactly what that purpose is, I'm asking you to surrender the control of whatever that purpose is back to him. The purpose can only be determined by the Lord. Esther, I'm going to guess, would have rather continued to live in the relative obscurity with the other Hebrews in that land than go through the process of becoming the next queen to a pagan king. We know that Jesus, in the garden, cried out, if it is possible, could this pass away from me? This is the Son of God telling the Father, I don't know if this is what I would do. But the purpose was not Esther's to determine. May I even suggest that the purpose 
of redemption was not Jesus's. It was the Trinity's. You say, wait, Jesus is part of the Trinity, yes. But when he is in the Trinity, he is in mutual submission to the will of the Father and the Spirit. And so Jesus says physically, here I am before the Father, and if it's possible, I wish that this wasn't the purpose. But because I know the purpose, because I'm in the Father, it's his will to be done and not mine. The purpose can only be determined by God. So second, if the purpose can only be determined by him, then the timing can only be decided by him. Do you see? We would rather, we would rather determine the purpose And if we aren't allowed to determine the purpose, because that's God, we certainly would like to then appoint the time. All right, God, if I've got to go through this, that's fine, but can we do it on my timetable? And that's where the cry of the heart comes. How long, O oh Lord? How, how long am I going to have to deal with this? How long is this uncertainty going to exist? Why isn't there an answer? Why haven't you made me better? Why haven't you healed that relationship? Why haven't you made the job situation work out? Why haven't you made my, my, my marriage better or my, my, my children better? Or Why? Why? Why are these things happening? But if the purpose is determined by the Lord, then the time frame has to be appointed by him. For four generations, there is silence from God, and then he sends a baby born of a virgin in a stable. So even when he finally does act, it's not the action that they were wanting. Listen, some of us are sorrowing. We're struggling. And we're okay with God having a purpose in mind. But the fact that he gets to appoint the time is another tough pill to swallow sometimes. But the time is appointed by him. Now, those two points seem to be very agreeable. They're not easy, but they're agreeable. Okay, the purpose, God, God's got a purpose in mind, okay? The timing has to be according to his time. Okay. But we're not reading the account of Esther anymore. We're not reading the account of Jesus anymore. We're talking about where is it in my life? What am I going to do? How do I know what that time is and what that purpose is? So for that, can I draw you to the third point? And that is this. If the purpose is determined by the Father, and if the timing is appointed by the Father, then we will only discern those two things when we are immersed in the Father. Maybe I could phrase it even like this. If Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together have planned the purpose for whatever it is that you're going through. And if only the Father, the Son, and the Spirit know the timetable at which that purpose can ultimately be achieved, 
then the only hope that we have of coming to peace with what they have determined is to be fully immersed in who they are. Ours is not to know. Ours is to follow, to discern. You say, okay, but Wes, how do I know how to discern? How do I know when he is working or moving or pushing me in a direction or when he's providing an answer and I've just missed it or I haven't seen it or I don't know? And how do I know when he wants me to take that step? Because sometimes I don't want to take that step, but I'd be willing to take it if I knew that it was the step he wanted me to take. But I don't know if it's the step he wants me to take. How do I know those things? I cannot give you a formula. I'm sorry. But here's what I can tell you. I don't know exactly how the Lord will lead you. But I can almost guarantee he will not lead you if you are not first immersed in him. It is so easy for us to fall back on our own capabilities or our own patterns, our own choices, our own lifestyle. And to move and advance in the areas where we feel most confident. I struggle with this all the time. It is so easy to just take the next step on the stone that I know is secure because I can trust it because it's something I know I can do. But that's not being immersed in him. To be filled with his word. Can I encourage you with something? I think we've gotten this backwards a little bit in our evangelical um, traditions where we read the Bible to be informed by it. And so if we aren't informed by it, we feel like we haven't gotten anything out of it. Can I encourage you with something? Drink in the words, whether you feel like they are informing anything in your day that, that day or not. Be immersed in them. There will be days where light switches are going to go on. And there will be days where they don't. But every day can be a day that we are immersed in it. Spend silence with the Lord. Where he can direct your paths instead of you always trying to direct them. Have conversations with people that intentionally focus on things that are beyond this world. When was the last time that you had a conversation? I'm not talking about a stranger out on the street. I'm talking about people that you know are believers. When was the last time you had a conversation with a fellow believer that focused on something that wasn't physical? I'm a pastor, and I can say, unfortunately, that Probably most of the times when I have those kinds of conversations are when people come to me with something. They're not ones I'm instigating. Well, shame on me. 
when was the last time you had a conversation about something that wasn't just physical, that looked beyond? That's a way of being immersed in the Spirit. Silence, the Word, intentional exchanges, and realizing that it is not something that you can do or rely on. I want to read to you a quote. It comes from Stephanie Getzinger. It's actually a quote that Carrie had written out and hung up next to the mirror in our bathroom, and we, I saw it day after day, and I really liked it, and she was talking about it again this week. I asked her to send it to me. Here's what it says. I am unable to do what you ask of me. You have to do it through me. And he keeps saying, that is, the Lord keeps saying, to me, I will only call you to what you are incapable of. Do you hear that? I will only call you to what you are incapable of. If something we can do, if it's something that we can do with our own hands, it's likely that he did not call us to it. You say, wait a minute, pastor, does that mean that if it's something that I'm capable of, it's something I'm good at, that that means it's not something I should be doing? No, no, that's not what it says. It says if you are wanting to discern the deeper places that God is leading you, they are almost certainly going to be places that you have no business going without him. They are not things that you are able to achieve on your own. Yes, God has gifted us and he guides us and he, he allows us to do things that he pleasures seeing us accomplish things that he's gifted us for, absolutely. But even there, aren't we actually operating in him, not in us? You want to know what your next step is? Start by looking in the places that you could not fathom going if God didn't move. Oh, I will be the first one to admit that when I think of going in a place, the first question that I subconsciously ask myself is, can I do it? Am I able to? I will admit that. Everything from preaching to balancing the church budget to counseling to parenting, everything that I do, it is easy for my subconscious to first think, can I do that? Am I able? How can I make that happen? It's human to do that. The call for us at just the right time is to realize that God will step into your reality and take you places that you cannot go without him. But he's not going to step in there when you expect him to or when you want him to or when it's most convenient for you. He's going to step into that reality at just the perfect time for him. And so what is our call? They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They that wait. They that pause. And so I want to conclude our time together this morning going back to what we said at the outset of the service. 
Are there things, are there areas, are there searchings, are there longings, are there cries of the heart that this morning what we need to do with them is turn from just saying, how long, O Lord, to saying, Lord, in your time, in your way, and in the meantime, I will wait before the Lord. I will move in places that only he can take me. I will immerse myself in him and his word. I will focus on him. We're going to conclude by singing a song that we've kind of been working on anyway from our hymnal. It's on page 327. It's turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I cannot think of any other advice to give you this morning than to turn your eyes on Jesus. I think it's 327. Is that the right number? Will you stand with me as we sing this in conclusion? And maybe again, as we started the service with this morning, maybe you're in a position to need to admit that this is you. That you need to be re-immersed in the Lord. Well, now's the time to respond to him. Don't go out of here saying, yeah, I should probably put some thought into that. I'll get that under control. Now's the time. Let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.